Truth About Local Government is proud to be sponsored by Local Partnership, an organisation that delivers value and efficacy to the public sector. They are experts in supporting organisations realising both their ambitions and their potential. Welcome back. And today's topic is trading companies. They are a vital part of local government infrastructure, a tool to be used to essentially fill the gap in between the public and private sector. And I'm delighted to have a true expert with me today in Vivian Holland. Now, before I introduce our guest, a bit of a background context to her. She works for Local Partnerships LLP, joining them in 2022 as a project director and focuses on commercialism in local government significant experience uh, advising local authorities as part of the public sector advisory team at Grant Thornton. She has worked on a broad range of projects, including the implementation of alternative delivery models for both services and investments. For the past two years, Vivian has led the commercial projects agenda for Watford Borough Council, including the development of ideas to create secure, sustainable income streams and the shared service agenda with neighbouring authorities to bring greater resilience to service delivery. So we couldn't be in better hands. Vivian, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Matt. I'm doing really well, thank you. And thank you for asking me on this uh, podcast. Amazing. So can I have the background context? 2011, the legislation changed. What took place? Give the listeners a bit of context. Sure. Uh, well, as you probably know, uh, the, the commercial sector has been sort of, you know, really um, sort of busy um, for quite a long time. But it was in 2011 when the legislation changed, which enabled local authorities uh, new powers. Uh, in essence, it, it allowed... Uh, any local authority to do anything that any individual could do, which meant that they could then set up trading companies. And this was a really attractive option uh, to help shore up council finances when um, you know, um, things were uh, getting uh, challenging. And so as a result of that, a, a whole range of companies sprang up all, across the country and hundreds of companies have since been created by various local authorities. So as an overall purpose, companies are created to help address funding challenges and to promote commerciality. That's right. Yes. How have they fared then since then? Uh, well, it's been a mixed bag, as you probably can imagine. And there's been some uh, a small number of high profile failures that we all know about, that we've read about in, in the media. Uh, there's been many, many successful ones that perhaps go below the radar. But but in essence, where um, uh they go wrong tends to be where there's not been enough preparation in very very simple terms um, sometimes it's the whim of a particular person or um, it's an idea that's sprung up and and uh, the authority thinks that they could generate some income um, uh, but perhaps they haven't done the full options analysis they haven't done a, a robust business case and they haven't really tested it out before implementing it that's the first thing in terms of the setup and then in terms of the running of the company on an ongoing basis the, there are various issues one is that sometimes local authorities um, go into markets that they just don't know anything about, for example, energy being a prime ex example, uh, or they don't really understand the relationship that they should have between the council and the company. Quite often we see situations whereby the, the, the council doesn't really know how to tread that line between interference and influence. So it's sort of... Um, uh, it, it doesn't really sort of hold the company close 
or let it go and have its freedoms. And I think it's really important that um, it should be very clear where they sit on that spectrum and let everybody know that that is um, the purpose of, of this particular vehicle. So um, I think sort of taking a step back for a minute, quite often uh, when, when um, a council is, is looking into whether to have a company, they need to understand whether they're going to have a purely commercial entity and just give them the freedoms and let them sort of go in, into that commercial space and just you know do their best or just really act like a government as like a local government department and be um you know really close to the council and be more closely sort of governed by its policies and procedures and and you know just really delivering council services and not anything else not anything more ambitious than that it's it's so challenging because I can imagine the temptation to run 100 miles an hour into this because, you know, officers and members can see the potential of what it could deliver. But you're absolutely right. If without the right governance and the right setup, it's destined, well, not destined to fail, but it's highly likely to fail. But I guess as well, this kind of brings up a, a very important point that, you know, as an expert in this, Vivian, you talk about that difference between influencing and interfering, you know, giving them the space to really be proactive and to utilise the commerciality, but not making sure that they're not left without any form of observation. And I suppose for an expert like yourself, those nuances are something that's quite comfortable to you. You know how to position yourself. So is, is that kind of, you know, when you're involved with these sort of trading companies, at what point do you get involved in that process? It's um, it can be a mixture of where things are going really well and they want to expand, particularly if um, they're going into that uh, commercial side more or where things are going a bit wrong. And going back to your point about that sort of interference uh, and influence point and treading that fine line, what we often see is that on the council side, um, there's too much of a focus on getting involved in the details of being drawn into the day-to-day -day activities of the company and not letting it do its own thing and instead of really setting the strategic direction for it to then go off and implement that. So um, one of the first things that I think is really important is to have a shareholder committee and that should have uh, elected members on it and some key officers. So that really sets the strategic framework and that should be the mechanism through which the council exerts its influence and sets the direction for the, for, for the company to pick up. Um, I guess that's so the that, important on that point there. It, mm -hmm. It's if councils are custodians of place, your role as an expert working for local partnerships is actually almost being the protector of the council. You're almost there as a buffer to ensure that their enthusiasm is channeled in the in the right way, um, and also that they're protecting them. You're protecting themselves, them from themselves, if you will. Exactly, because everybody you know who works in the public sector is doing it for the public good. Everyone, we all share that same ethos. So everybody is going about this with the best of intentions. But why would you expect somebody who's never worked in the commercial space before to, to know um, how it works and so that's where we can obviously assist and we also help on the company side because quite often we find that the company board structure isn't what it could be so sometimes they're too small for, for the activity that they're undertaking sometimes they have pretty obvious gaps like they don't have somebody who's an expert in finance or the particular specialism that the company is being used for. So um, 
and also one thing that I've seen quite a few times is that there's just not the training provided so people are just not really au fait with how to be a board director because that is a skill that needs to be learnt. It really is. It's a very unique skill. Most people, I don't imagine if they, you know, will have ever been in a situation that requires that quite unique sets of skills. One of the things about the podcast I'm really passionate about is giving some really constructive hands on tips as a starting point to a conversation, not obviously the the end uh, conclusion. I want to talk to you about preventing failure. You know, getting set up in the right way so that, you know, the opportunity has the most, uh, the greatest chance of success. What are the key things that a local authority has to set up to guard against failure? I think perhaps going one step back, thinking about what the purpose of the vehicle will be. And in some cases, it's um, there are many, many outsourced contracts, some of them not working very well. And some local authorities want to use a company to, in effect, insource um, from uh, an outsourced contract into their own company so they've got more control and can reduce costs and create efficiencies so that's that's quite common uh, and it could equally be spinning out a service from the local authority into an arm's length company so going in the opposite direction um, so it's important to recognize what the ambition is really in some cases it's it's reducing costs in other cases it's also that revenue generation and it's the extent to which you want to generate revenue that is that needs to be really really clear because quite often I see companies set up and they don't do any revenue generation at all so and that might be suitable for that particular vehicle but it just needs to be clearly set out at the time Um, so in terms of what you should put in place in order to guard against failure is just really understanding what the vision is you know what what type of company do you want it to be what is it is it going to be that commercial side is it going to be the more public sector side um, which is um, governed by you might have heard of the TACAL exemption which means that it can be directly awarded contracts as long as it's within the public sector Uh, and that is a, a really useful mechanism uh, which can be incredibly helpful but there are issues with that because you could be subject to a challenge from somebody else who thinks that's perhaps unfair trading. Um, So it's important initially at the outset to work out what what it is that you want to achieve, what is the problem you're trying to solve, what kind of shareholder do you want to be and uh, understanding what all the different options are. So uh, there's, there's there's various different types of company. Could you might have wholly owned company, which is very common, or you might go into a JV with either a public or a private sector partner, or you might go into a, a wider JV with a whole host of other public sector entities. So you have to understand um, what type of vehicle you want to have, and then going into the business case, making sure that you follow a really rigorous business case process with a different stages. So that at any point, if it's not working, if it doesn't appear to be viable, then you just stop and don't proceed, and and then you've you've um, you know mitigated that risk. And then when it's up and running, it's important, no matter how successful the company is, the economic landscape is always changing. So it's important to keep tabs on it and uh, review all the time to make sure that it's doing what you want it to be doing and not allow it anything to slide. One of the key areas that I've seen, <coughs> excuse me, 
<coughs> is in uh, relation to contracts because you will have typically contracts going in both directions. You will be um, letting contracts to the company and vice versa. And it's easy because you think, well, it's, it's you know, we own this company uh, to be a little less formal, but that can cause lots of problems. So it's important just to have that distance and really treat it uh, like you would any other contract in order to make the most and make sure that that contract is delivering for you in whichever direction that is. Uh, and also to think about uh, terms and conditions, because quite often you move a whole service out, for example, waste where there's lots and lots of people into a company uh, on the assumption that you can change terms and conditions at some point, notwithstanding 2P. Uh, but in many cases, that doesn't happen. So you don't make those cost savings. And equally, um, any intention to... Uh, use any excess capacity to trade externally uh, doesn't happen, as I mentioned before. So it's understanding all the time what's going on, what can be done to uh, alleviate any pressures on the company and how the, um, the council tackles that as the shareholder. You know, what's fascinating with that entire piece was just how much of a minefield this really is in terms of I could feel the anxiety on one side of me growing because I was like, how would anyone set up a company and it be successful? But on the other side of it, there's just this really calm and considered approach that you bring to this, Vivian. And I then felt completely relaxed because I suppose all these challenges are mitigated if you have an expert in your corner saying, right, you need to think about this first. Let's agree that. Then we move on to step B. And there's a very much a methodical nature that it needs to be followed in order for this to be a successful um, venture. What, does that have you? Would you think that kind of calm and considered approach is something that's grown with you as your career's developed, or has that been something that you've always been gifted with? Um, well, that's very kind of you to say that, Matt. I suppose I really first got interested in trading companies not long after they first became popular, as I said, about 10, 12 years ago. And um, I, I just was fascinated by them and at the time I was aware of some of the bigger ones like Norse for example which is like a 300 million plus turnover company and thinking how did a local authority manage to to do this and uh, so understanding the model how it worked how they use the TECL exemption how they work with other authorities was interesting uh, and that also I began working on uh, setting up some of these companies and helping local authorities to choose the right model and um, make sure that, you know, all of the different aspects, you know, the any tax implications, legal implications, people implications are all, well, financial, of course, are all covered off um, so that nothing is missed. And so having that, as you say, a very methodical approach to make sure that everything is thought about. And um, so, so and then sort of it then sort of expanded into going back to work with companies that then wanted to grow. So, for example, sometimes if it was a tackle company, they then have a commercial arm as well. And then they can effect, in effect have the best of, best of both worlds. Um, so that's really exciting and interesting to see how they can expand. And yes, they are being very commercial, but they're also they also still retain that public ethos and um, you know they, 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 they still have that sense of place 
and doing good for the local community. And I think that's really important to understand that you can have both. You don't have to think of commerciality as something that's, um, you know, just about making money. That's absolutely. I think, look, there's a perception problem with commercialism. And I think that we're beginning to see more and more local authorities really embracing what it means to be commercial. And that doesn't mean running out and going to the public where loans board and getting loads of money and just mm-hmm. trying to spend as much as possible. But it's it's with the right support, with the right infrastructure, making considered and commercial decisions that fundamentally support the community that they are the the guardians of and the custodians of. I want to talk a bit about now about the toolkit that you've developed um, as part of local partnerships and um, you know how this can fundamentally help local authorities avoid failure and promote good commercialism. Can you give us a bit of context, please, Vivian? Sure. Yes. Uh, Well, we've just updated it or fairly recently updated it um, because it's important to keep up to date with all the various rules and regulations. And you mentioned PWLB. And of course, that is where um, councils go to borrow money. And yes, it is relatively easy in that sense because, you know, that they're strongly covenanted. So they they can um, obtain those funds. And this sort of perhaps in the past had that, you know, false sense of security that, you know, it's it's possible. So let's do it. Uh, but that is is, you know, closing in now because the rules are tightening on that. Um, so that that does limit what is possible in terms of uh, commercial activity using a, a trading company. So the toolkit really is for not just uh uh, companies that maybe need a bit of help but it's it's everybody who has got a company because as I mentioned earlier no matter how fantastic your company is the economic landscape changes all the time and you need to be up to date and it could well be that you know a service that was highly tradable five years ago isn't anymore so you need to be able to recognize that and know what to do so coming out of a company and having making sure that you've got an exit strategy there's no shame in that if you have established that and move through that uh, in a in an orderly fashion rather than when the problems have already really set in which is what we've seen in those high profile cases so it's it's um it's a very as you mentioned earlier about being a methodical process this does cover everything so it it goes through for example the the council side governance arrangements and all the things that you need to have in place to make sure that as the shareholder you have got everything covered and in particular in relation to say for example members being on boards um, and uh, uh, conflicts of interest all, all those things that are really important and uh, as I mentioned about the business cases and then also on the entity side making sure that all of the Uh, building blocks for a really strong company are in place so that it can operate really well standalone and it follows all the good practice principles uh, as set out in for example the Cadbury report and the Nolan principles all of those um, good things that you should have as um, as a company itself and board directors and what the chair should do and um, all of the qualities that you should have if you're uh, responsible for running a company just as you would any 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 commercial company at all regardless of, of, of who the shareholder is and then there's also a section on the different models that you could 
choose from. So uh, the pros and cons of each and making sure that you've got the right model for yourself. And for example, um, sometimes a council might go into a JV and they decide actually they can go it alone and they'll they'll, they'll change tack or vice versa. So um, it's understanding all of those different options. And then there's a section at the back which is um, all to do with it's basically a checklist of all the uh, points that you need to cover to make sure that you've you've got um, a robust um, system in place for governance and so if you really go through that that will flush out everything uh, any any issues that you might have and then you can go about addressing them and also a new item in for this year uh, which I think uh, hoping will be of real interest is a set of questions, prompt questions for members to ask, because often we see that members don't necessarily know what questions to ask to challenge officers when a company is being set up or is changing. And so that gives uh, a nice bank of questions for members to refer to, to give them a bit of guidance so that they can really uh, kick the tyres on, on these ideas before they actually come into, into um, reality. That sounds amazing. That must have taken so much work to create. It did take quite a long time, I must confess, uh, but it was really enjoyable to do and just really made us think about uh, literally everything that you need to think about, leaving no stone unturned so that local authorities have got that um, by their side and and that is a is a hopefully a guiding light and will help them navigate the uh, sometimes choppy waters of local authority trading companies. How do people access this? Is it on the website or do they have to email you, Vivian? Or what yeah, it's on the website. Get? It's on the website. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And there's um, we did a, a webinar recently with uh, a couple of clients, which was really interesting to hear. Cause it's always you know more interesting to hear their side. They're doing this. Uh, and to get their experiences, both positive and not so positive, uh, and how they've navigated through those, um, you know, their, their particular set of circumstances. I absolutely love that. No stone unturned, just de-risking it. So no matter if Putin invades another country or there's COVID again, uh, you know, your trading company has got set up in a way in which the risk is as mitigated as it can be in an ever-changing yes. world, um, protecting local authority. That's amazing. Vivian, it's been an absolute delight and pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Today, we've been lucky enough to have Vivian Holland on from Local Partnerships LLP, one of the directors in charge of commercialisation. If you're listening to this and could do a help with trading companies, either bad performance or just want some support to ensure that you've got everything set up, reach out to Vivian Holland. She's on LinkedIn or conversely, go to the website and have a look at the um, support that they've got on there, that uh, support checklist and the uh, support guide to avoid failure and promote good commercialism. If you've enjoyed the episode, as always, please give it a follow, a like and a share and tune back in for more episodes later in the week. Goodbye for now. Local Partnerships is proudly part of the public sector family. We deliver value and efficacy for the public purse, providing expert advice alongside project and programme delivery support, enabling public services to thrive. If you need their support, get in contact.